Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to the Bucknuts Happy Hour. We are halfway through Ohio State's 2022 season in college football. Buckeyes have a nice schedule uh, in terms of the way this all breaks down. They're they're on their off week, their bye week, if you want to call it that. I know some people get frustrated with that. Um, so we're doing things a little different this week. I'm Patrick Murphy. If you've been here before, you probably know the drill by now. We uh, we we like to have a little fun with this. We like to think of it as as our own. Across the internet happy hour. I've got a uh, IPA that I'll sip on here from our friends over at Seventh Sun. Do a great job, those guys in Ingif. You're in Columbus. Uh, today we're going to obviously talk some Buckeyes, but I wanted, since it's the the off week, the bye week, to get a little bit of a bigger picture sense of what's going on in college football and, and maybe a, a bird's eye view from from way up there on the Buckeyes uh, halfway through the season. So. We're going to talk with, with Brad Crawford, our 247 Sports National College football writer. Brad, thanks for jumping on. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Pat. I follow Bucknuts very often here at work and watch Ohio State every weekend being a top five team. So it's hard to believe we're already at week seven now with about seven regular season weeks left. Yeah, I wrote at the beginning of the season, right before the season started. I think it was the Friday before the first Ohio State game. I wrote this like, message to Buckeye fans to you know, try and enjoy this season as much as possible. This could be a special season and it just always goes by so fast. And I, you know, I, I feel like I haven't even taken my own advice. I'm leaving the games each week and I'm like, I didn't even, I didn't even enjoy the fact that I'm going to sit there and watch these games for free and whatnot, uh, getting paid to do this. It's, it's awesome. But even I sometimes don't think to, to enjoy it as much as I should Brad, you and I used to work a little bit closer together back when we were kind of co uh, co running the the Facebook pages. At that point uh, in time, there were there were some Ohio State fans who had some thoughts that at least some Bucknuts readers had some thoughts that you were anti Ohio State, maybe maybe a little bit of an SEC homer. Right. 
I want you to clear up, um, and I don't know if these people are still listening to, to our stuff or are on here live, but I want you to clear up kind of your perspective on Ohio State. Obviously, you know, you went to an SEC school, but but I think you do a pretty good job of keeping things neutral. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've covered college football now from a national standpoint, Pat, for about 10 years. Obviously, the SEC every season has seven or eight top 25 teams any given week. The last couple of years, I've been extremely high on the Buckeyes. You know, this season in particular, I picked C.J. Stroud as my preseason Heisman winner. Um, actually laid some money down on him. I, I couldn't believe he was at like plus 500, plus 600 this spring for a guy that all of us knew covering his sports going to have 45 to 50 touchdown passes this season. The the acquisition of Jim Knowles, I thought, was going to, you know, completely revitalize that defense. I think it has. And Ohio State was my preseason pick to win it all, too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not that much of an SEC homer anymore, uh, maybe earlier on in my career. But um, I think there are some SEC teams at the top of the rankings this season that that may have some holes and, and might get exposed in that Final Four format. Well, let's talk Ohio State because we always talk about it from a very, you know, yeah, very tight-knit point of view. I'm watching it every week. I'm around the guys every week, that type of thing. Most of the people we talk to are either Big Ten people or, or are here locally. You see it from a different perspective as you're watching everybody, all the top teams each week. Right. When you compare Ohio State with with Georgia, with Alabama, with Clemson, you know, those those top teams, maybe there's a couple other you'd group in there. Where do you see the Buckeyes kind of ranking? I know they moved up to number two in the AP poll, but but how do you kind of view it so far halfway through the season? I mean, for me, I think Ohio State should be the number one team based on what we've seen on the field thus far. So I guess in Brad Crawford's own eye test rankings, I would have the Buckeyes number one. I mean, Ohio State's average margin of victory, I wrote this down, since the season opener, 37.6 points per game. That includes the destruction of a Toledo team that might win the MAC. And I keep hearing from a national standpoint, a lot of the guys that I work with, who is Ohio State played? And I always ask, who has anybody played that's in the playoff race right now? I mean, Clemson is the only team right now inside the top 10 that's beaten two teams that are currently ranked inside the top 25. That's the same number that Ohio State's going to play once they get the Penn State and Michigan games over with. And then both Ohio State and Clemson are going to have a common opponent in Notre Dame. So, you know, you you look at some of the other teams in the top five, Pat. Georgia beat Oregon, feels like six months ago. Hasn't played a decent team since. Bulldogs are going to play three ranked teams in November where, you know, the regular season sort of pans out for Georgia, whether it's an elite year or not. And then Alabama right now, Really, the win at Texas in week two, that's the best win. The Tide play Tennessee this weekend. That's a game I think Tennessee wins. It's going to shake up things in the SEC a little bit. And then, of course, there's Michigan. The Wolverines are going to play their first-ranked opponent of the season Saturday against Penn State after six weeks of, you know, sort of a snooze fest. So I think Ohio State's the best team in college football right now, and I watch a lot of football every Saturday, man. That's from noon to – you know, 2 a.m. once those Pac-12 games are over with. Well, you took me to exactly where I was going to go with with that strength of schedule. And for those watching live, if you have any questions for for Brad here, whether it be about the Buckeyes, whether it be about the national college football landscape, throw those in the comments. We'll have Brad answer some of those if we've got them. But I was looking at this today. According to ESPN's FPI, strength of schedule, Alabama's 24, which is pretty good. Ohio State's 70. Georgia's 71. 
Michigan 95, Clemson 84. So, you know, take that for what it is because, the you know, the metrics are the metrics. But yeah. I think that goes to show, you know, no one has played an elite schedule at this point, right? If you believe that, it's it's Alabama with the best of that group. In fact, the, the best of the teams listed up here, according to their FPI, is Texas, <laughs> which we know, you know, given their losses – they're not in the mix for, for a college football playoff. And and a lot of these uh, top 10 teams that, that haven't moved really from their preseason spot, you know, the first six weeks of the season is padded with cupcake games anyway. Right. The uh, sort of built-in win, so to speak. You know, you kind of – you want to see what your team's going to look like on offense, you know, new defensive schemes across the board, across college football. So, yeah, I don't I don't think any top five team right now, really outside of Clemson, they, they did beat NC State, Wake Forest – two teams that I think have a chance to finish nine and three, 10 and two in the ACC this season. But you look at Ohio State's schedule, man, if if the Buckeyes played Alabama's current schedule, if they've played Georgia's first six games, Ohio State would still be six and oh. And you remember back in the BCS Bowl Championship Series, margin of victory used to matter. Right. And the selection committee says it doesn't anymore, but certainly I think those playoff folks have looked at Ohio State thus far and outside of that season opener have – had to be very impressed despite really a, a rash of injuries that, that hit that offense. Well, and two, you know, you look at Notre Dame after that first week, everyone, after the first couple of weeks, everyone was saying, well, that's not an impressive win anymore. And it, it yeah. may not be, but Notre Dame's gotten three wins in a row. They beat North Carolina. They beat BYU. They're going to have a chance. You mentioned they play Clemson. They play Syracuse, who's currently ranked USC at the end of the season on the road. So, you know, that win may look different at the end of the season than it did, you know, three weeks into the season. So, so that win, win could, could help the Buckeyes ultimately. Brad, I want to ask you about those, the, the teams in that top five that I think everyone thinks kind of separate a little bit. Mm-hmm. When you watch Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, whatever order you put them in, I assume you see weaknesses in all of them. How, how do you see that kind of matching up if, if those of those five teams, we know if four of them end up making the playoff? Yeah, the, the only thing that worries me about Ohio State, I think the offensive line has played well this season against the first six opponents the Buckeyes have played. But, you know, going up against a Bama, Georgia, or a Clemson in that first-round playoff matchup, protecting C.J. Stroud, in my opinion, is going to determine, you know, whether or not Ohio State really wins it all this season or loses a semifinal game or in the final. I, I think Alabama, if you've watched the Crimson Tide closely, this is not one of Nick Saban's elite teams. Right. You know, this is a team that almost lost to Texas, which Texas might be an eight, eight and four, nine and three type ten team this season. You know, they beat a bad AM team by four points Saturday night at home. And I know Bryce Young didn't play, but that's something big to watch too, Pat. I mean, Bryce Young, he's gonna play Saturday against Tennessee, but he has a shoulder joint issue that could you know, come back to haunt Alabama later in the season if he keeps getting hit. Uh, Bama hadn't done a, a very good job this season of of protecting him. You look at Georgia right now, Stetson Bennett also, last three games, does not have a touchdown pass. And after week three against South Carolina, he was the Heisman, you know, front runner behind C.J. Stroud. So Bama and Georgia right now, the two elites in the SEC, I think have some issues on offense that they'll need to work out. And then Clemson. I mean, DJ Uyunglele was the butt of all jokes this spring, you know, uh, going into the season. And he has 14 touchdown passes, two picks, and has really developed into a, you know, darn good player at the top of the ACC. So 
I think right now between Ohio State and Clemson, those are the two elites that I don't see as as much weaknesses as I do in Alabama and Georgia. But as you know, I mean, Alabama and Georgia right now, between six weeks from now, they're going to be much better teams down the stretch. Sure, sure. I think you can say that about everybody. I think we'll know a lot more about these teams as we get to conference championship weekend than we do right now. Another team that I've found interesting, and I've been watching them just because they're on late at night when I get home after some of the Buckeye games, USC. It's yeah. uh, you know, it's an interesting situation what happened out there with Lincoln Riley coming out, the transfers that they brought in. You're seeing the impact that the transfer portal can have at a high level. We saw it firsthand here last year with Michigan State and the Big Ten, yeah. but that didn't pan out into to an elite team. What do you make of USC so far this year? Obviously undefeated. This offense has looked pretty good. Um, the defense has been hit or miss. How do you, how do you kind of rank them in with with those groups that you just mentioned? Yeah, USC's big barometer test is this weekend at right. Utah. You know, USC's unbeaten number six right now, I think it is, and has been favored every game. They've won every game. I mean, really, Lincoln Riley did a heck of a job turning over that roster completely. And, you know, I, I heard throughout the offseason, Pat, from Oklahoma fans, we're better off without Lincoln. He wants to go out west, let him go out west. We'll, we'll take Brent Venables. Well, now the Sooners have forgot how to tackle. Uh, they they can't score points. So, yeah, th- there's some big issues right now in Norman. But uh, getting back to USC, man, I think they're definitely a, a Final Four contender. Uh, the Pac-12 has to have an unbeaten come out of that league to make the Final Four, though. I don't I don't think a 12-1 USC with, you know, a, a win over Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game is going to get there. Maybe, maybe a one-loss Oregon because that loss would be to Georgia in the opener. And that would be such a long time ago. Maybe, you know, the playoff committee would respect the Ducks. But USC right now is the front runner out west. I think Oregon's number two. And after Saturday's game, we're going to know a lot more about the Trojans and kind of where they stand in the Final Four race. Well, and I think it would be unfair to talk L.A. college football and not bring up UCLA. Yeah. Who also undefeated. Maybe haven't looked as good. You know, I certainly haven't seen as much of them as I have USC for, for one reason or another. But Chip Kelly's doing some things out there. They, they've got a quarterback who finally is making the plays I think everyone kind of waited for. That's a team, I mean, you, you said it, it has to be an undefeated team probably, but they look every bit the part of a contender, at least in that conference, right? And what's surprising to me is this offseason, Chip Kelly was trying to tap the transfer portal for a quarterback. Right. He didn't want Dorian Thompson-Robinson coming back as, you know, a, a four-year starter. He wanted Dylan Gabriel, the guy who, you know, left UCF, I think committed to UCLA and then signed with Oklahoma playing for the Sooners now. So, you know, that last weekend's game beating Utah the way UCLA did, that surprised me. Thompson Robinson, he's a Heisman candidate now, had had five touchdowns, four touchdown passes, touchdown run. I am I'm probably most surprised right now that that UCLA is still unbeaten at the midway point. TCU surprised me a bit, but they've they've kind of benefited from a soft schedule. Syracuse too has uh, benefited, but of, of those uh, 12 to 14 unbeaten teams left, I think UCLA inside the top 15 right now is is surprising to me. But the, the Bruins still have to play USC in the regular season. They've got to play Oregon in November. So I think they're going to catch a, an, a loss or two. Yeah, well, and I think that would still be a, a pretty good jump for Chip Kelly, who UCLA fans are trying to run him out of town. I mean, I have a, a good he was on the hot seat, yeah. I have a good buddy who's a UCLA fan and, and, you know, he used to be in sports writing. So he's a little more level headed when it comes to things, but talking to, to his friends back out in LA and, and whatnot, they wanted him gone. And uh, 
It's it's turned around I mean, quickly. Nobody goes to their games. Like they're no. they're a top fifteen team, six and zero, and there's like nine hundred and fifty eight people at their home games. Yeah, it's. I mean, to be a sports team in LA is tough. Let me tell you about the Rams right now. Uh, you know, you win a Super Bowl and people still aren't coming out. So you got to be the Lakers or the Dodgers. Speaking of, speaking of LA sports teams, I know you're a Lakers fan, and we can go a whole you know three <laughs> hours on Lakers. I'm a I'm a big Lakers fan too, but I know. I know. We'll save that for a different podcast. Yeah. Would more people care? Um, let's look at this weekend because Ohio State fans are, are not going to be watching the Buckeyes, obviously. There's a number of big games out there. And I want you to tell me kind of rank these ranked versus ranked matchups that you see in terms of what you're looking forward to the most. Yeah. Bama, Tennessee is the game that I'm, I'm exactly. going to have eyes on throughout Saturday. I, I think really. If Tennessee wins that game and were to finish 11 and one and not win the SEC East with their one loss being to Georgia, I think Tennessee can be an at-large playoff team in that number four slot. Like Tennessee's that good right now. They're the number six in the country in plays per minute, like three and a half plays a minute. They're just running that offense at a rapid pace. It's going to give Bama problems, man. That's that's a game that I think Bama is is due to catch a loss because, like I've said, they have not played that well. On the road this season, there's been spots where they, they've had three or four straight possessions where they've they've had three and out. So, you know, if you play Tennessee, a team that goes for it all the time on fourth down as well, you have two or three punts in the first half. You might be down seven to 14 points in intermission. So that's a game that I'll be watching. Um, obviously, TCU Oklahoma State is a huge game in the Big 12, two unbeatens there. Like I said, I think TCU is a bit of a paper champion right now. Uh Oklahoma State has kind of been there, done that, finished one yard shy of a playoff berth last year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that game too. And we had a question from uh, from Benjamin Atkins on Facebook. And if you have questions for Brad about the Buckeyes, about college football, throw them in the, the comments here. But he said, let's see, let's say Tennessee beats Bama. Do they jump to number one in your eyes? Yeah, so I, I've been doing our AP poll projection at 24-7 Sports now for – seven or eight years, I, I kind of have a beat on how AP voters vote. And, you know, since, since Bama's number three this week, I don't I don't think Tennessee would leap that many spots. Tennessee is sixth. I think Tennessee would move into that three hole behind Georgia and Ohio State. But unless Tennessee, you know, lays a beat down on Nick Saban and and wins 45 to 10, I don't I don't think anybody who watches college football expects that. But I do think Tennessee will be a top three team if it handles business and beats Bama at home. Is Tennessee legit enough to to go as far as you said, like being that at large bid potentially, or or maybe even winning the SEC? Is that that's a team I haven't watched much this year. I've had them on the iPad during Ohio State games a little yeah. bit. Talk talk a little bit about what's working for the Volunteers right now. Yeah, I think schedule favorability has has played a huge role in in Tennessee's success. You know, week two they they played at Pitt. That was kind of a game that I I circled this summer to you know, kind of see is is Tennessee legit. I mean, Pitt coming off that ACC Coastal title last season. I know Pitt has some talent changes, but Tennessee went on the road, won that game. I, I think it was in overtime. Two weeks later, they had a home game against Florida, hadn't beaten Florida in six years, scored 38 points, beat the Gators. And then last week, they were a small road favorite against LSU and really opened up a can on, on Brian Kelly and the Tigers. So that's that's three barometer tests so far that Tennessee has passed with flying colors. Obviously, Bama being Saturday is a big one. But I think Tennessee, you know, they were a team that I think the over-under win total was eight this season. 
I had Tennessee nine and three regular season. So Tennessee's playing about as well as I think the Vols could play. This is Josh Heupel's second season. They don't they don't have a ton of uh, depth on defense. That's, that's where I kind of worry with them. But after this Bama game, the road trip to Georgia in November, Pat, that's yeah. that's the only game remaining on Tennessee's schedule where they're going to be an underdog. So they they got a legit shot at you know winning eleven games. Well, I think you'll like this one. A uh, question from Yakov: As someone with an SEC background, can South Carolina become a perennial eight and four, maybe nine and three type of program? You know a little bit about uh, South Carolina, don't you? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty close to the program. No no coaches and all the fans well there. Um, I think Gamecock fans would tell you that if they establish you know nine nine win average a year under Shane Beamer, he's going to have that job in Columbia, man, as long as he wants it. That's a that's a classic, you know, 500 program all time. You know, they they've beaten Ohio State. Sorry, had to had to get those digs in. It's happened. Beat, yeah, you're right. They've beaten Ohio State twice in bowl games. Uh, Gamecocks had three straight 11 win years under Steve Spurrier. That was kind of the height of the program nationally. A couple of top five finishes with you know guys like Marcus Lattimore, Jadavion Clowney. It's going to take consistent top 15 to top 10 recruiting classes to be one of those SEC, you know, bottom to mid-level teams to get up to that, you know, nine-win average. I don't I don't see it happening under Shane Beamer. I think you can kind of catch lightning in a bottle, maybe have a 10-2 and two season if you have a veteran roster and, and things go right. But with this expanded SEC, man, in the next few years with Texas and Oklahoma, uh, the league probably going to a nine-game slate with only, you know, two automatic wins a year for the Gamecocks because they play Clemson every year too. Clemson yeah. ain't going nowhere, so I don't I don't see him finishing a uh, nine and three every season over the next you know seven to ten years. Going back to the Big Ten, Benjamin Atkins again asked about Penn State, Michigan, who play this week. Um, he asked about how many spots if if Penn State beats Michigan, how many spots they move up. But looking at Michigan, you know that that the knock on them is the same as the Buckeyes, right? They haven't played anybody. This is a chance to play a Penn State team. I think quietly has has established itself as. I don't know if they're a college football playoff contender. I mean, they have the opportunities, but you know, they I don't know if they have the talent. But this is a this is a big week for both of these programs, right? Yeah, I mean, both of these offenses at times really lack explosiveness. And I don't right. I don't want to crap on Michigan here defending Big Ten's champions. Obviously, you have to go through Ann Arbor to to you know win it again this season. But you know, Penn State's a team that I've I, I've watched a good bit of this fall. Uh hasn't been as explosive as I thought they could be. I think Penn State's best quarterback, man, is is the yeah. guy playing behind Sean Clifford. Yeah. Obviously, James Franklin, five and zero right now. He can't he can't afford to bench Sean Clifford. You know, Sean Sean hasn't done anything to lose his job necessarily. But I think Saturday, you know, if if Michigan's front seven really owns a line of scrimmage and wins that game going away, then I think James Franklin may have to look at that offense and sort of determine, you know, moving forward with with Ohio State a couple weeks later from now. Right. You know, where where do we go from here? But this is a huge litmus test, so to speak, for both of these teams that I think rank two and three in the Big Ten right now behind Ohio State. And Drew Aller, that quarterback you're talking about, what was an Ohio State target once upon a time. Obviously, you know, Buckeyes cooled a little bit there and, and he ends up at Penn State, but an Ohio kid. And that would be interesting if he ends up taking over, you know, say they do lose to Michigan when when these two teams play. Obviously that game's at Penn State, so he's not coming home yet, but He's the future for sure from what I've seen. I, I think they've got something there. Um, Ohio State-focused question from from Cleveland Reese. Right now, who, who is the better receiver 
in your eyes? Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison, or Mecca Buka? I'll give my thoughts first. First of all, I don't think you can go wrong on any of these guys. I mean, we haven't seen much of Jackson Smith and Jigba this year, but you saw the Rose Bowl. I know he wasn't covered by the best cornerbacks in the world in that game, but you still don't put up those numbers unless you're talented. I think if you're just talking best receiver, you know, if you're talking NFL draft, I guess, I'm taking Marvin Harrison just because I think he's got it all. He's got the body type. He's got the size. He's got the family pedigree. Um, I think they all are supremely talented, but that's the guy I would take if all three were available in the same NFL draft, which obviously won't be the case unless Jackson Smith and Jigba decides for some reason he's coming back to Ohio State next year, which won't happen, by the way. Um, what, what are your thoughts, Brad? I know, I know you probably don't watch these guys as closely as I do, but I imagine you've seen them quite a bit. Well, I saw Jackson Smith and the Jigba have a Devontae Smith-like Rose Bowl. Yeah. I mean, he, he decimated Utah. You know, has only played about what six total quarters this year or so, yeah. five quarters. Um, that's that's a tough question, man. Marvin Harrison Jr. Is, is killing it right now. All three of these guys are freaks. I think all are going to play on Sundays. You know, and as I mentioned in in August, I mean, it's a wealth of riches for C.J. Stroud in that passing game. That's that's part of the reason. You know, a lot of analysts projected C.J. at forty five to forty eight touchdown passes this season because when one guy goes down. I mean, Brian Hartline has another four or five star guy waiting in the wings, waiting on his opportunity to shine the spotlight. Both those guys behind Jackson this season has. And, and really, when Jackson Smith and Jigba returns, if he does return this season, there's probably a battle for that wide receiver one title. Right. I mean, Marvin Harrison coming off that huge game against Michigan State, he kind of opened a lot of eyes nationally. And he's a guy right now where if I'm C.J. Stroud, I, I might have a tough time choosing between you know, Smith and the Jigbur, Marvin Harrison. Well, look, and we didn't even mention Julian Fleming, who hasn't had the career he hoped is the number one receiver in the 2020 class, but has a touchdown in, I think, four straight games now since coming back from injury, three straight games maybe. So, you know, add him to the mix. Look, I think when he – I do believe Jackson will be back after the bye week. I think it really works out well for the Buckeyes. You can put him back in the slot, which is where he played last year. Mecca Buka can play outside. You can mix him in with Julian Fleming, and then you have Marvin Harrison on their side. But if you're just talking in terms of targets, I mean, they're going to go all over the place. Mecca Buka, who we didn't even really touch on there, you talk about that Michigan State game. He actually led the Buckeyes in receiving yards in that game. It was just Marvin Harrison had the big touchdowns and obviously the the crazy one where he twists yeah. into the end zone. I can, I can tell you right now, too, man, Alabama does not have three corners that it feels good about to cover those three guys if, if Bama and Ohio State meet this season. That's why I mentioned previously that, you know, Bama's pass rush, Ohio State's O-line, that's what it's going to come down to because Bama's not as loaded in the secondary as the tie usually are. Yeah, well, and I wonder too, you know, do they need a, do they need a transfer portal Ohio State wide receiver coming down the pipe again? Because we saw what happened last year when they were able to get, uh, get one of those guys in there. And, you know, I, I look at that receiving core. It's not the same as it was a couple of years ago when, when they were just loaded as well. Um, no, Going back to Michigan, got a question from from Mike Bowers. Do you think Michigan can keep Corum healthy running 30 times a game? I mean, that that is not a guy who is built like your your stereotypical 30 30 yeah. carry running back and and he's obviously carried the workload well so far. Yeah, I I've watched Michigan more than any Big 10 team this season mainly because Wolverines are on at noon every Saturday, you, mm-hmm. you know, before the primetime games and the Top ten games get kicked Welcome off. To being Big Ten champions, that that tends yeah, to happen. Yeah, man. 
I mean, and and a lot of times Blake gets most of his carries in the second or third series of the second half where, you know, Michigan has a lead and they're just bleeding clock, winding it down. He's he's had several sort of win-clinching touchdown runs late in games, had that fourth down score against Maryland. That was huge. You know, had a couple runs against Indiana that that put the Hugers away. Um, as this reader mentions, he's he's not a 30-carrier guy. Um, I, I don't think his body can withstand that. But right now, you know, he's probably behind C.J. Stroud for, you know, Big Ten Player of the Year front runner. And I think he is the most important piece on Michigan's offense. If I had to pick a guy right now, but later in the year when Michigan's going to, you know, be, be shut down at the line of scrimmage, McCarthy has to make plays in the passing game. And we just haven't seen that yet out of this offense. Yeah. Let me ask you from a national perspective, going back to Ohio State specific, first question, and and you sort of touched on this earlier with C.J. Stroud, there was kind of a knock during the Heisman Trophy stuff last year about, well, he has all these weapons. And, you know, to me, I don't know if that should – Hello, Bama quarterback. So they they have weapons every year, right? I don't think that should dock you. I mean, you know – Mark Ingram had great linemen blocking for him too, right? When he won the Heisman. But what's your perspective on that and just kind of how how that how he's viewed maybe knocked a little bit. And I don't think so much this year, but you know, I I think that there is some of that perspective just because Brian Hartline has recruited and developed so well. I mean, Devontae Smith won the Heisman at, at Alabama and and three years earlier could could barely see the field right. because that wide receiver room was so loaded at Bama. Yeah, I, I don't I don't knock quarterbacks for being the Heisman race because they got so many weapons around them. I think the the biggest issue, man, and I'm I'm not a Heisman voter. I I vote for some of those awards, Bolitnikoff, but not not the Heisman. Biggest issue for me is we always just pick the best player from the top five teams. Right. So we're not we're not watching college football wide, you know, to see you know if if Sean Tucker's nearing two thousand yards at Syracuse, for instance, just to you know throw a name out there. So the the best player in the country is not always you know one of the faces of the top five teams, but. I think this season C.J. Stroud certainly has a has an argument. I mean, I I watched him Saturday throw a ball in the flat on a misread. It got picked six, and then he you know has five touchdown passes after that. I mean, mo- most quarterbacks are going to be afraid to throw that out route. You know, the final three quarters. So um, C.J. Stroud has impressed me so far. Like I said, he's my preseason pick to win it all. I think I would still lay odds right now, but I do like what Hendon Hooker is doing at Tennessee. I mean, if if he has a big game against Bama Saturday looking at two quarterbacks, kind of a, a two-horse race going into November. Yeah, and to me with C.J. Stroud, there's just some throws. He had a throw to Marvin Harrison Jr. down the sideline on Saturday against Michigan State. That just, you know, it's not like these guys are always wide open. They're open a lot because they're right. really good, but he puts it on the money quite a bit too. So the last thing, and I'll get you out of here on this, Ryan Day obviously took over this Urban Meyer program and, and has done well with it, really well with it. Does he need to win a national championship here soon in order to kind of cement himself as as one of these top coaches? Obviously, you know, to get in that upper echelon, you have to have a national title. But I think there are people probably outside of Columbus, maybe outside the Big Ten, that are like, look, he took over a winning program. A lot of guys could have done that. I don't know if that's true. I'm curious your perspective. I mean, look at Jimbo Fisher, man. If if he didn't have a national title with the best quarterback in college football at the time, Jameis Winston – He's probably a what top top twenty ish coach, and instead he's a top five coach heading into this year. He's probably you know the the ship has sailed on him a little bit. Ryan Day, I ranked him at number six coming into the season. I think the five guys I had ahead of him were in in no particular order: Kirby, 
Saban, Dabo, Jimbo Fisher, and might have been Brian Kelly. So those are those are five guys besides Kelly all have a national championship. Answer your question in, in, in a roundabout way. I think Ryan does need to win one. I mean, Big Ten titles. Anybody can go to Ohio State and win those. Yeah. You know, dozens of coaches have. You know, you're you're going to always recruit at a high level. But I think I think Ryan Day's strong point right now, really outside of that loss to Michigan last year, is his team performs well in big games. He he wins games against nationally ranked teams. But he but he has to not only beat Michigan consistently because you know the guy before him always did. Yep. I think he has to win that big game against an SEC school in the playoff. And I think this is the year that he might get it done. Brad, thank you. I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. Yeah, um, this was great. I'm glad we got to talk beyond the Buckeyes, but you gave some great perspective. And I think fans that that tune in live, people that listen to us later, really appreciate it. So, So thank you for jumping on. No problem at all, man. Anytime. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks again to Brad. He's uh, he's one of my favorites at 247 Sports. If if you don't read Brad's stuff, you should do it. As he mentioned, he does projection stuff. He does stuff weekly. Follow along with Brad. He, he really does a great job. And, and any concern about an uh, SEC bias, anti-Ohio State, I think he proved with some of that conversation there that that, that if it ever existed, no longer does. Now we're going to dive in a little bit more on the Buckeyes specifically. Our guy who just just keeps on coming back. He can't stay away from the happy hour. Timmy Hall from 97.1, the fan and the Buckeye show. You got a different studio there today, Timmy. Where you at? Yeah, we're look at the studio. It's sort of the, the theme of the day, right, Pat? You know, there, there's only so much studio space. Not watching. <laughs> well, you know, there's only so much studio space here at the fan. I yeah. can't use the Buckeye studio because man and bone are in there and that's where the live shows go on. So I'll, I'll be in there at six o'clock, but it was either this, the Browns or the crew. I mean, you, you don't want to see me in a crew studio right now. I mean, I know you're a huge fan. What a major, major disappointing season that was for those guys. So, Hey, it's a new day, new season. We're all excited here at the fan. Cause we carry the games. We'll have their big block party on Friday. I've already got tickets to take the boy to a game on Tuesday to see Patrick nice. and Johnny. So it's going to be fun, man. But let's uh, let's talk Buckeyes. We got a second half of the season coming up, my man. Six games to go. Obviously, that sixth and final one, that's against that team up north. I, I really, to kick things off, Patrick, I know we're going to do some grades and all that, but yeah. I don't know why so many people in Buckeye Nation keep concerning themselves right now today with what Bama and what Georgia are looking like. You can't really hit the fast forward button and beat the rival. Uh, to me, nothing really matters until we sink our teeth into that game and that game only. And I'm even overlooking a pretty damn big game on the road at Penn State. We're going to see these two teams play each other on Saturday while we're sitting around, you know, bagging leaves in the paper bags and all that. You'll but, be bagging leaves. I'm not bagging yeah, mulch, baby. You know, I just just did it earlier today. Forget about bagging them. It's bad for the environment. You want those nutrients going back into your soil. So just mulch them with the mower setting. But we got to focus on beating the Wolverines. And th then then it will take care of itself. Because, you know, newsflash, we already know we are equipped enough to win a national championship. That is pretty easy to see. Now, doing it is a different story than just being equipped to do it. You've got to have everybody healthy. You've got to be playing well at the end of the season. 
And again, like once and for all, you have to beat your rival. And that was ugly last year. So those two teams don't matter yet until we scratch that one off the list. Yeah, I think it's a good point you make because as fans of any sport, any team, whatever it is, you know, they tend to tend to jump ahead, tend to think ahead. You know, there's it's hard to kind of enjoy the moment of, especially when you're a, in college football and you're a dominant team like Ohio State, you're running off 30 point wins like it's like it's an easy thing to do. You know, you I, I wrote and I mentioned this when when Brad was on just a few minutes ago. Try and enjoy this season because it really could be a special season. And every game, I think you you want to look back. Maybe it won't be 2002 when it, there were so many nail biters, but yeah, to, to look ahead to Bama, Georgia, even to look ahead to that Michigan game right now, I think just enjoy this team and, and what they're able to do on the field right now. Yeah, I'm I'm all for enjoying. And again, like I, I get it. Like even in our format, we're gonna we're gonna make predictions. We're gonna you know throw out some some dream scenarios. But I I just think. I just think getting ahead of yourselves and saying you know, how much Ohio State would smash Georgia by right now. You know, you see a lot of that going on. Yeah. And I mean, we've we watch football, right? We understand how when that season turns, everybody starts to get better, right? What you yeah. did, if you stubbed your toe, if you had a game that the peanut gallery wants to talk about, like, oh, I mean – how come the SEC won't drop in the polls more? And, you know, Georgia barely beat Missouri. I mean, Ohio State's track record and their resume much better than that. Even with a, a tight squeak, you know, squeaker against Notre Dame, that was still twenty-one to ten, double-digit win. It just—you really think you really think Ohio State's going to blow out Georgia by forty points? Like it's just—it's I'm more for pumping the brakes on that kind of rhetoric. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's okay to to envision and dream about like I, it, it's okay to be thinking that Ohio state could win that matchup right now. They do look and feel like the best team in the country, but again, like we've, we've had situations where we thought we were the best team in the country many times, right? In the 1990s, you just look at the whole Cooper era. And even here, like the 2015 team with urban Ryan days team in 2019, I think was one of the best Ohio state teams of the last 15 years, possibly. Didn't win a national championship. Shot itself in the foot a couple too many times against Clemson. Had some bad calls that went against it as well. And that's that's what you get. So, I mean, I just I, – I don't know if I'm going to those SEC schools who we don't get a lot of cracks at. So, it's tough to it's tough to really put that out there, how that game is going to go until you get there because we don't play those guys a lot, especially – the absolute best of the best. There's been two games against Bama. We haven't even seen Georgia. There's been two games against Bama. Split them. You know, got them once in a classic game, and then they destroyed us. But you could, you know, excuse that away as that was the pandemic season and that was kind of clunky and hokey, which it was. But it's just like you said, we could enjoy each week. We yeah. can think about the Penn State game, though, and we can think about the Michigan sure, sure. game because those ones matter. And, and let's – Let's let's enjoy each week. We could be real about it too. It's just I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not giving these guys the national championship yet. I I, I think that's fair. Yeah, no, I, I think if you're thinking that far ahead, you know, I mean, we can talk about it because that's what we do, but I think that there's a lot to prove. Teams are gonna change a lot next few weeks. You've already seen with Ohio State, teams are gonna get hurt. There there, there could be a 
you know, what if Bryce Young's injury ends up being worse? That could take Alabama completely out of the picture, potentially. You know, then you're not talking about Alabama at all. I, I think, yeah, it's a little premature to talk anything about about that type of stuff. So let's look backwards. Let's look back at this first half of the season. Everybody knows Buckeyes six and zero, number two team in the country according to AP poll. I wanted, and I told you this earlier, I wanted to to kind of go through each position group, give them a grade. Some are going to be way more obvious than others, but uh, I thought it would be interesting to just kind of to chat it out. Um, I think we'll start with the quarterback. Tim, are you giving C.J. Stroud anything other than an A so far this year? You know, it. You know, when you told me to make grades, it's almost like, well, what kind of curve do I put these guys on? Because do the people just want to hear you give – straight A's to every single position group or or do you want to like hold a player up against himself because CJ Stroud comes into this thing with Heisman ex- expectations he is I, I, I'll give him an A minus okay. okay I'll give him an A minus because he isn't leading in every single stat category in the country as a quarterback and but it's an A is an A. I just didn't want to get go with the the solid A or the A plus. I've got to be critical somewhere, or else what's he got to shoot for? Because he's that good. Like your standard is different, CJ. Because we see that in you. We expect greatness with the numbers that you put up last year. He's having a great season. He had a couple of games here where the completion percentage wasn't at that you know lofty. 72 to 75 percent which it's it's incredible that we've seen quarterbacks here at Ohio State actually go after that number realistically and hold it up but leads the nation in touchdown passes he's got three interceptions those are great numbers again passing yardage wise he would have to do more to throw out a a historical and I'm not talking about just Ohio State we're kind of going beyond Ohio state numbers, but just history of college football numbers. You'd have to do some special things to get the passing yardage numbers up there. And offensively, they're just not throwing the football enough. You know, they they throw the football enough, but for him to go after, uh, you know, bear raid offense, Texas tech offense type of passing numbers, it it wouldn't get there, but CJ has been close to perfect. I'll go a minus Pat. Yeah, I think there's two two ways I look at it. One, the statistics, you just kind of broke all that down. I think, and I was telling this to Brad, you know, I think there's some throws that he's made this year that are just like, wow. You know, that, that throw to Marvin Harrison Jr. last week on the sideline against Michigan State was a throw that few people in the world can make. Um, you know, a, a, enough that there are really good quarterbacks in the NFL, but that's not a that's not a throw that most college football guys are even making most of the time. He's had a few of those. You're right. There have been some days when he hasn't thrown, you know, great, but I put that on the defense a little bit as well. But I also think and he's made this clear, quarterback's job is to win. And, you know, that's what, you know, we don't talk about running back win-loss record. We don't talk about safety win-loss record. We do talk about quarterback win-loss record. And last year CJ lost two games and they were two important ones. This year, he's gotten the job done. He went out and did it against Notre Dame. He's done it every week since then. The standard has not dropped for Ohio State. That's why those two things mixed together, I am giving him an A. And, you know, I think we can look back at the end of the season and and talk about stats and stuff. But if he wins a national championship, if he wins a a Big Ten championship, I think he's right there with all those other quarterbacks because you know the numbers are going to be there. 
let's switch over to, to the guys next to him in the backfield with the running backs. Look, there's two of them this year, so neither of their numbers are astronomical. But you got Mayan Williams, 497 rushing yards, eight touchdowns. Travion Henderson, 436 rushing yards, four touchdowns. Mayan Williams is up to 7.8 yards per carry, which is pretty damn impressive if you ask me. Uh, Tim, what do you think about these guys? How are you grading out the running backs? And obviously with the caveat that the offensive line has to play well, we'll get to them in a minute. But what do you think of the running back play? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with an A- minus as well for these running backs. You know, the yard per carry has dipped a little bit for Travion Henderson. We know that, and there's been some bumps and bruises, and that's been a thing, too, that you watch and monitor. We know that's one of the most physical, demanding positions in the entire sport. So being healthy and being available is something that comes with that with that job position. And we've had you know both guys now in and out of the lineup, so that's one, maybe the only thing that keeps that from being a full A for me. And I don't necessarily look at it, you know, and because you, you, you entered into this as a positional group grade, not just an individual grade. When you combine what you're getting from these two players, it's pretty darn close to an A. And it's just the fact that they haven't been fully healthy the entire way is why I would drop that a half grade. But all in all, I mean, what, what you don't, when you don't get a seven yard per carry from Travion Henderson, you're getting almost eight, like you said, from Mayan Williams. And, and I would like to point out again, and I've said this several times on my show and in the past couple of weeks, I think it's a misconception that Travion does not run physical because when you watch that guy, he will finish his runs with contact. We just kind of like to naturally think if you have two guys, one's thunder and one's lightning, right? Travion does have speed, but he also knows how to hit and yeah find the gap, finish it with a bruising, punishing blow, and then fall forward. And that hit against common man's asking me to play uh, some ping pong. Give me uh, give me 10, give me 10 minutes. <laughs> that's how that, that life at the fan studios, Patrick, that that's how it goes. That's good but, stuff. No, a, a minus you're getting, you're getting rock solid play from those guys. Just so long as one of them's healthy for each game. And that's going to be great. Yeah. I think, I think you've said you I'm doing a minus two. I think you encapsulated all of it. I will throw in because we're talking about the position group as a whole. Dallin Hayden, I thought has yeah. when he's gotten his limited, you know, he's 52 carries on the air. A lot of those have come late in games, but some of them haven't. He had to play some in, in some meaningful moments, 250 yards. He's got a touchdown. I think you got something there. The next guy uh, down the road, and let's not forget, you know, you'll get Evan Pryor back hopefully after this year. And, and TC Caffey is, a walk-on running back who yeah. I, I don't imagine will stay with this team for very long. I imagine a scholarship is coming his way from at least a Mac school or that level of school at some point, but just wanted to throw those names in there. I think you covered everything else with them. Uh, the, the wide receivers, look, it might be the most talented room in college football. You've yeah. lost Jackson Smith. That's, and that's, that's, a, that's an A right yeah. there. Right. Pretty much the whole year. You still have Igmeka Buka, 655 yards, six touchdowns. Marvin Harrison, four, 536 yards, nine touchdowns. Nine touchdowns. Nine touchdowns. Nine. Julian Fleming, who's you know wasn't playing to start the year, 222 yards, but five touchdowns. Uh, you know, pretty impressive. And and they obviously have even more depth behind them. I do think we'll see Jackson Smith and Jigba probably against Iowa, if not, I think against Penn State. Um, I think we're both probably giving them an A, but I want to, just for conversation point, we brought this up when uh, when Brad was on here. 
we were asked earlier by Cleveland Reese. Better receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison, or Mecca Buka. I already said my piece. What do you think, Tim? Who who would you take between those three elite level wide receivers? Why? Why why do you have to why why do you gotta do that? It was hard enough trying to decide between Garrett and Chris Olave, right? Give me give me Marvin. That's right? Give me Marvin. I mean, yeah. we're we're splitting hairs here. I mean, a, a, a Mecca really, really has been fantastic. I mean, he's leading the way right now. So isn't that what it's – I guess pick what it's all about to you, the touchdowns or the most yardage and receptions and leading your team down the field consistently, getting first downs and having that speed to just take it to the house if you have green grass ahead, ahead of you. That's where a Mecca's got maybe a little bit of that, but – just the catch radius and the acrobatics that Marvin Harrison Jr. is showing. I mean, we had expectations for him, right? But it's a little bit different than doing expectations for CJ because you really got to see a big sample size. We had a small one of Marvin, but everyone was just talking about him. Everybody knew it was almost a certainty that this guy was going to be great this year. And it's so cool to see him live up to all that. And it's, it's as good as you could have possibly imagined, even better. Want to move to the tight ends. They have caught passes more than I think many people thought. You've got Cade Stover with 16 for 206 and two touchdowns. Uh, you've got G. Scott with three for nine. Um, he had his first career touchdown on Saturday. Mitch Rossi has to be in the picture, too. He hasn't caught a pass yet this year, but certainly has been productive as a yeah. blocker. Um, we haven't seen Joe Royer very much, if at all. I know he's been battling some injuries and and obviously had some family issues that that happened. But um, I think, for me personally, you know, I think if you're grading this on a national scale instead of just Ohio State, because they're doing what Ohio State tight ends should. They're blocking. They're making some plays every once in a while. I'll rate it like a, a B plus just because they don't get as involved in the passing game as they could. That's not their fault. I just think if, if we're about, you know, it can't be everyone gets an, an A, right? There's got to be something that, that that we hold against this team a little bit. And uh, so so I'll say a B plus for them. I think they're doing their jobs great. I think if, if you saw a bit more of what we saw from Cade Stover a few games ago, that, then maybe that would be a little bit higher. But I do like this room a lot, and I think they're productive. Yeah, um, I'll echo that, Pat. You know, I think B plus is a fair grade. We know that they can do it now. We know Cade Stover, yeah. when asked, he can make a defense honest and open things up for those other electrifying wide receivers. It is just that they're where we we thought for a second here, you know, those Ricky Dudley numbers might might be on blast. And now it's going to take some work here in the final six games. We're going to have to get back to throwing to Cade Stover a little bit and getting him some touchdowns if we're going to do that, but that's a good grade. If we put the tight ends and the fullbacks into, into one box, I really do think it's a special thing that you can see this Ohio state offense formationally, you know, Ryan day talking about that at the press conference this week. I do think that's something that he's very proud of as a football coach. It's one thing to just sit here and have the offense kind of look the same way that it did under urban Meyer. And then it's another thing to, make that evolve a little bit and there's just something that something that speaks real football to people in this in this town and and, in big 10 country it just it's it's more reality right it's real football when you can 
line up differently and still be successful. We don't have to get in a shotgun formation at the one yard line or when we need six inches to get a first down. That's just logically, that's just not what you would do, right? That's just not what you would want to do. That's not the smartest way to go about it. You want to run downhill straight ahead, get in an eye formation, get in a big formation and, and push ahead behind your big dude moving offensive lineman and get the job done. I like that about them. Speaking of those O-linemen, that's a solid A. Solid A for me. Same starters every game of the year. That's rare when you find that. Let's keep it going. All of these guys, starting from Paris Johnson Jr., guy's been a freak. I mean, Paris just starting with him, he's just been unbelievable. I don't know if you ever focus on that left side of the offensive line. Sometimes Sunday night football, they'll do a better job than most broadcasts of highlighting a a individual battle in the trenches with a D end and an O lineman. No one wins on Paris Johnson Jr. ever. No one wins against him. Yeah, he's been great. I mean, I think you can go, we could go position by position across the offensive line. I think they'd all grade out highly. I was looking at the pro football focus grades, which, you know, take that with a, with a grain of salt, but it gives you some perspective. They've all graded out well, both pass protection, which I think we knew coming in, that would be something that, that this line would do well. It was Where was lighting. Paris? Do you remember? I don't remember what exactly his grade was. I believe he was the highest graded pass protector on the team. I'd have to go back and pull back up. I mean, but, he's getting yeah. he's getting into top 10 talk now, oh, yeah. Pat. I'm sure you've seen. Yeah. yeah. And I, it's cool to see. It's been a while since Ohio State had that dude, the tackle that was – you know, hope, you know, potentially the first one off the board in a draft. You had Decker before that. It was Orlando. Yeah. There's a fact for you, Buckeye fans. Tackles taken in the first round for OSU. Taylor Decker. And before that, it was Orlando. That's kind of shocking. That is crazy. That is crazy. Let's flip to the defensive side of the ball. You want to start in the trenches or you want to start on the back end? What do you think? Let, we just finished off on a line. Let's start from the line and go, go out. I will go. I will go B for the defensive line. All right. I, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna anoint those guys just yet because you know you know, me personally, I had some big time expectations numbers wise. You looked and saw, you know, some havoc type of defensive stats that these Jim Knowles defenses produced. And while they're rotating some guys a little bit, I really did think, and this is not to say that these guys are having poor years by any stretch, you know, just the the very week I decided to talk about Zach Harrison and wondered, you know, where, where has that, you know, dominating presence been for a while? He went out there and had a pretty good game against yeah. Rutgers. So he's been all right. Jack Sawyer's been all right. I'd like more. JT Tuimolo, same thing. He's been all right. I'd like more. And when Mike Hall Jr. has been the biggest, you know, the most promising guy on the whole unit. Teron Vincent's kind of been a nice steady player and you've been looking for that, but all in all, yeah, there's no there's no Chase Young, Bosa type of, you know, pop off the page talent here for for the first time in a while. So I'll I'll give these guys a B. You know, their rush defense actually nationally is not as good as the pass defense. If that that might surprise some Buckeye fans because it sure feels like the secondary might be the the group that you want to see maybe step up and perform a little bit better, but I'll go with a B. Yeah, I I agree. I was going to go B as well. I think, especially when you look at the offensive lines they faced, I kind of expected some of these games to be, you know, 
four or five sacks for the defensive line. Some of those names you mentioned really getting causing havoc. Now I will say that as, as it was talked about in the press conference the other day, JT Tuomalau may be the most held player in college football. So um, if he can start getting those calls, that would, that would work out well for the Buckeyes. Yeah. I think he's done a good job. Look, I think the defensive line has done well. They've, they're doing their jobs. I think they're also adjusting to this Jack position where, where things are a little different. Zach mm-hmm. Harrison has also moved inside some that's changed things a little bit. So, you know, I, I, you got six more games. This isn't a final grade. This is the midterm, right? So I, I think jumping back to the linebackers, Tim, this has been the most surprising group to me. Just the way that we saw this team play last year or this unit play last year and how much of a jump Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, and even throw Cody Simon in there because he's played some important snaps. I'm going to give them an A-. minus. I think there's there's probably still room for improvement there, but you know, if there's a most improved halfway through the season position group award, I think it's it's them. Tommy Eichenberg's leading this team in tackles. He's a quiet leader for this group. And then I think he's complemented really well by Steel Chambers, his athleticism, his his kind of boisterous nature. I think those two work really well together in this two linebacker system. Yeah, Steele's got the pick, right? Yeah. And I'd I'd like to see I'd like to see maybe some some more turnovers you know, produced by these two guys. That's the next step, you know, and I'm with you. I'd give these guys an A too. You know, we've talked about the linebackers and how they have been, you know, the brightest spot on this defense and said it last week right here. You're only, you know, you could say whatever you want about the scheme of your defense. You're only going to be as good as your linebacker play. And if you, if you don't have good ones there, you can kiss it goodbye, you know, being a steady defense and a team that can get off the field on, on third down you've got to have guys that are in the right fits and knowing exactly what they're doing and and guys that can be leaders out there too. And Tommy Eichenberg has been that guy. I think his leadership ability doesn't get brought up enough, but everything you just said, they've been fantastic. Steele and Tommy Eichenberg. I just want to see these guys maybe start to go for stripping the football a little bit more, you know, combine their tackling skills with maybe some punching, some, some ripping of the football and see what we can do right there. And, Love to see Tommy maybe scope one out and grab himself an interception of his own. Real quick, it's just me, Tim seventy nine. He's uh he's he's high on your radio station. He says, I "Oh my man, one exclusively when he drives." So uh, that's our guy right there, Tim. We appreciate you. See you at six o'clock, buddy. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's let's move into the secondary, the cornerbacks. This is where you know I. I was critical of them at halftime of, of the game against Michigan State. There's obviously been more criticism. I saw some other people saying, you know, this is the seventh, I think, best pass defense in the country. How do you criticize the corners for that? I don't know, because we're, we're judging on an elite level. That's how. And frankly, they haven't been good enough in certain plays. As I said last week, I talked about with you, there have been plays where Denzel Burke has done really well, some of the other guys. But they've also given up some touchdowns, given up some big plays. This, to me, is a, a, a C plus. I'm in the middle of finishing a story that will be out later on, on the need to improve the cornerback play during this off week. Where do you stand on the cornerbacks? Yeah, okay, all right. We've got our, we've got our first grade that kind of uh, isn't – if we're perfectionists, we go home. I mean, I, I yeah, was a I – mean, a... They go faced ahead. probably their best receiver that they have yet this season against Michigan State. Gave up a touchdown. He had a pretty good day. I mean, like, you're going to face better receivers, better quarterbacks down the road. 
I know we're talking about first half of the season, but you know, we, we started off this segment with you talking about projecting. I just don't think they've been good at, you know, if you're locking down guys week in and week out, I'll give you, I'll give you a better grade. I just, it needs to get better. And uh, you know, I think we have to be honest about that. Yeah. And the Reed touchdown also, that was an insane catch. Just like the one Marvin Harrison. Let's, let's folk, let's acknowledge that the defense was pretty good on it. And he went down and below his waist and snagged it with one hand with his right and then brought it up to his body to make the catch. But no, you're good. Good on you for, for going out there and, and, and putting it that way. We, we can't go as high as a B right Not Not when I let off against with CJ Stroud talking about expectations and we can't just smooth these grades out there for the Buckeyes and every single group, you got to give these guys, a standard of excellence to shoot for. So yeah, they're, they're not going to reach a B I'll even go C minus for, right. uh, for these guys, for the cornerbacks, just the, if we go to this with the secondary in general and, you know, good on, good on Lathan Ransom. I continue to think that he's been their best player. I think Lathan Ransom has been their best, most steady player. And I don't think we necessarily knew he was starting at the beginning of the year. So that just, that just goes to show you with where they are, how, Guys are still trying to not just, you know, get their skill level up to snuff with being a a silver bullet secondary that's ball hawking and never is in the wrong spot. You know, I think I think before ball hawking, that number one part is you never have a busted coverage. Because if you never have a busted coverage and you're always technically sound. Then when you combine that with the star power and just the pure talent these guys had coming in, if they listen to coaching at all, then you're going to be in a pretty good position to be successful. And that that just hasn't happened enough to give those guys, you know, the the grade that you're not upset to bring home to mom and dad. I C's made me nervous, man. Like I I wasn't a straight A student by any stretch, but I at least had that standard where if you're not getting at least a B. You need to look in the mirror and say, I can do better. Like none of this C's get degrees BS, Pat. None of that. It's at least a B average. And we're not trying to settle for that either. Trying to groove a couple of A's in there along the way. Maybe in math class or science or something like that. Did I just say math? Really? Anyone that's listened to my show knows that guy's an idiot in math. So maybe history and science. How about that? You talk like a parent. It's weird. You have a kid at home that you're trying to you're trying to improve the grades. Trying trying to be part of the solution, Pat, not part of the problem. Trying to trying to at least put another good person out into the world, and just one of them too. Trying to handle the population crisis at the same time, and making sure that that kid's good and on the straight and narrow. <laughs> yeah, I'll add with the uh, with the safeties. Ronnie Hickman is is one of my favorite players to watch each week. He does so much for this defense, whether it's you know, leading, getting guys in the right spot, making plays. He's not the tackler he had to be last year, but that's a good thing. Tanner McAllister, I know he's missed a game, but uh, when he's been out there, he has been very good. That was a great addition out of the transfer portal. The Buckeyes have done well when they've gone to the transfer portal. He was another one. And and obviously we had a good idea because Jim Knowles had worked with him before. You mentioned Lathan Ransom. He's been, he's been very solid. I would like to see a little bit more Cam Martinez. Um, just – you know, obviously Tanner McAllister is not going to be here next year. Cam Martinez has been hurt the past yeah. couple of games. So 
I yeah. would I would very much like to see him in there a little bit more to to kind of get used get him used to what he needs to be doing. Um, you know, but but that's Hickman's been good too. I, I saw a commenter in there. Ronnie Hickman's done his job. I've just been uh I, I think Lathan Ransom's got maybe one or two less tackles than him and coming from his starting point. That's why I've just sort of leaned to him for who's impressed me the most. But Ronnie's shifted to a little different type of position too, and he's done really well doing that. Yeah. He's been he's been one of the brighter spots for him. All right, Tim. Well, thank you for jumping on. Thanks for doing this. You've been a regular at the happy hour here. Now you can go play ping pong uh, with, with Common Man. Whenever that, uh, whenever their next commercial break is, Pat, we'll get that done. So, someone else I saw said, is it too soon to compare the offensive line to the Hogs? Ah, the Hogs, the Washington Redskins of the early 90s. I was just, it's funny that guy says that. I was just talking to Jim Lachey. He comes in here a couple times a week to tape a segment with 10 TV for one of right. their shows and to do Buckeye Roundtable, the, the statewide radio show. And I was a eight-year-old boy watching what I still think was one of the greatest NFL teams of all time. Put them up there with some of the great Cowboys and Steelers teams when uh, the Hogs and Mark Rippon and the Washington Redskins won the uh, Super Bowl and just beat the ever-living you-know-what out of the Buffalo Bills. So I, I would say it's too early because that's yeah. the, 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 those Hall of Famers right there, the great Jim Lachey. What a guy, though. I mean, you can't you know play for my favorite NFL team and one of the great Buckeyes. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I know he loves – you got to listen to some of the play-by-play in addition to watching the Bucks on TV. Because if you haven't been a regular listener, just the banter that Paul and Jim get into during a broadcast, because I'll do both. I'll usually watch the first half with TV sound. Second half, I'm in the studio with Beamer preparing for postgame, and I'll listen to Paul and Jim. So I get it all, and it's much better when it turns over to, to Paul and Jim for the commentary. How does it work timing-wise between the TV and the radio for you? You can actually... In t- in today's day and age, you can you can tinker with it all right. and get it perfect because everybody's got a streaming TV service, right? Yeah. So all you'd have to do is is get it on uh, your computer, get both things on the computer, and hit the pause buttons to line up the the sound. All right. It's really uh, it, it really it, it works works pretty well doing it that way. When I first started covering Ohio State, I would bring. I would like listen to the radio broadcast through my computer. Mm-hmm. It was just so far behind, you know, being in the press box, it's so far behind that, yeah. it didn't, you know, Twitter usually caught up with any sort of updates before, um, you know, I, I heard it from, from that. Chris. I, right. That you're on your own yeah. for keeping the Twitter feed off. If you want to do it that way, cause you might, you're right. Wind up getting 15 or 20 seconds delayed, but you can toggle with the pause buttons on, on both. And you can get it done that way. Yeah, for basketball, too. I like to do that for uh, basketball. Cheryl says you can't get 97.1 out of the state of Ohio. Cheryl, there's an app for that. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, you absolutely can. You absolutely can listen to the thing. Yeah, get the app. Go on uh, our website. Listen to all the shows. And again, some... The play-by-play might not be on the the website, on the app, but 
if you have a streaming TV service, you can try to sync it up that way. And even some some radios do have a a pause button on yeah. them. So like there's there's ways to do it. You got to get creative to get it to fit like that. Or uh, or you can just live with it being out of sync a little bit and uh, and go with it that way. But for basketball, when I'll I'll sit in here in the studio, I'll actually you know be sitting in this exact studio, this jackets one. And I will have the uh, the Buckeye Hoops games up on the YouTube TV on my monitors here. And same type of thing. I can, like, put the fader up and listen listen to our station. And I can I can sync it up that way. So, yeah. I'll go nuts. I'll go nuts in here, too, Pat. Like, watching the games when I'm all alone. It's uh, whether it's a football game and it gets down to the wire – I might not want to watch it in front of someone else, so I'll, I'll kick into this studio if it's, like, tight. We know Buckeye basketball games, almost every one of them in the Big Ten gets tight in that, you know, under 10-minute stretch. Right. But, you know, football games not so much here lately, but they will, likely, before the season is all done. So I like to be in a nice, quiet studio where I can be alone and, you know, yell and scream a lot and – make big animated moves and it looks like looks like something bad is going on in here it's just a guy watching a game that's all that's all oh, it is. these scenes with timmy hall on how, how it all works yeah yeah here here you here you go here's the uh here's the uh the board right here this is this is actually exactly what the what a console would look like that runs the whole station we we just installed this one. This is brand new. It's all digital. Nice little Wheatstone board. Sorry, the monitors, they've gone dark right there. So that's probably a good thing. You can't see what I was snooping on, you know, <laughs> while I was while I was talking to you. And uh another little editing machine right here that our guy Bob Taylor, who does a lot of voice work for the station, does. Now we're just kind of spinning around in the chair. The go. whole the whole studio right there. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you'll have to go back, find it on our YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter page, and and come back and, and see what Timmy's talking about there. But, Tim, I'm going to wrap this up. I got work to do. You got ping pong to play. Um, I appreciate you coming on, as always. This was way better than me giving out grades by myself. So, uh, so thanks again. Have a good rest of your day, Tim. All right, Pat. Thanks to all your listeners and viewers. Yep. And – Check us out on the Buckeye Show tonight. We actually have a big guest tomorrow. Ooh. Okay, you're gonna be you're gonna do a little write up on what's coming on tomorrow, Patrick. Interesting. In studio guest, big big first hour tomorrow at six o'clock. All right, that's a good teaser. See you, buddy. Bye. All right, see you later. Thanks again to Tim. Brad Crawford from 247 Sports jumping on at the beginning of the podcast. If you missed that, you can go back and, and listen to it once we once we post this podcast. It'll also be on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all those places. If you're enjoying this, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Obviously, we, uh, we also have the Morning Five that Dave and Dan do. Great stuff from both of them. So the bye week is, uh, is already halfway over. No Buckeyes this weekend, but a lot of good football to watch. I'm excited for it. I'll actually be out in Los Angeles, so uh, it, it should be a good time watching them out there. Time difference is going to screw with me a little, but I'll manage to make it work. We've gone as long as we've ever gone on the happy hour, so I've run out of beer. So I will say cheers, but I don't have anything to finish. 
in terms of drinking here. But uh, have a good weekend, Buckeye fans. Enjoy not having to uh, stress out about the Buckeyes this week. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next week for the Bucknuts Happy Hour. Cheers. Bye.